All right, big announcement. Took us a little while because I was having a baby, things were busy, but big announcement on our uh, vision for 2018. We are going to reach 1,000 people with the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. Our mission for 2018 is to share the gospel in a loving and personal way with 1,000 people. Now, I know, look, look around, we're a small church, but that does not mean we have to have a small impact. Right? When Jesus ascended to heaven, there weren't very many that still were following him. Yet they had a huge impact on the world. And so we've decided, hey, look, there are many things that are out of our control. But we can do two things. We can pray and we can proclaim. We can reach and we can request. And so that's our theme for this year is we're going to, we're going to pray for God to save Austin. To bring the people of Austin from darkness to light. From children of sin to children of God. Amen. And so we're going to reach 1,000 people with the truth of the gospel in a loving and personal way. So this isn't just handing them a card that says Jesus loves you. No, this is a real conversation. Answering their questions. Discussing with them the truth of the gospel. And bringing them to know. um, To at least hear and, and, and God willing to receive that Jesus Christ died for their sins. And rose again so they could have eternal life. Amen. So we're going to reach 1,000 people. Come on, you guys got to be with me on this, right? Come on, let's do this. Um, God's already been doing cool stuff this year. Um, So I'm really, really excited. I'm pumped. We're going to reach this city. Um, Yeah, so we are continuing today in our series through the Gospel of John. We've been working our way verse by verse through the Gospel of John. And five weeks into it, we're still in chapter 1, okay? Chapter 1 is a long chapter, a lot to go over. Today we are finishing chapter 1. We're talking about the, the disciples. Now, so far in chapter 1 of John, we've covered a lot of things. John has told us about how Jesus is the Word. He's this Logos. Um, he is the one who spoke creation into existence. He's the one that holds all these things together. He's the light. Right? So Jesus is bringing himself the light to the world so that those who are enslaved to darkness may be free and find um, true life in him. We've learned about the witness, which was John the Baptist, who was proclaiming the way for Jesus. And then we saw uh, that John baptized Jesus and the spirit came upon Jesus. We learned about the spirit. And this week now, Jesus is beginning to start his ministry as a, as a 30-year-old man at the times were correct this was all prophesied and he's starting his ministry of calling disciples and we see that we're going to see a few of them called here and i'm really excited to to dive into this topic of discipleship because we in our goal of reaching 1,000 people is not just simply to say the words of the gospel but to help people understand it to bring them along the journey of accepting christ growing in christ and 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 then gathering others themselves and making disciples themselves disciples make disciples jesus said hey if you follow me i will make you fishers of men disciples make disciples and so um it's crucial that we don't just say hey here's the gospel but that we love them and we, we we teach them all the things that jesus commanded all the things that he taught so that they would grow in their relationship with Jesus and that they would bring others to Jesus as well. And so I'm excited for us as we're talking about reaching 1,000 to also dive into the topic of discipleship. Today's text is John chapter 1. We're going to be reading from verse 35 to verse 51. Today I'm going to be reading in the NLT version. You can follow along on the slides or if you have a Bible or Bible app. Feel free to follow along there. It's important. Don't space out when we're reading the word of God. You know, when I read these words, they're more important than anything else I say. Okay? Right? When I'm reading the scripture, that's not the time to space out. That's the time to listen up. Okay? Like, my my stories aren't that great. The word of God is what has power. Amen? Can I get an amen for that? So, when people read long passages of scripture, you should never be like, oh, man. You should be like, all right, he's finally reading the Bible. Okay? That's what we're all about here, reading the Bible. Okay, we're going to be reading John 1, 35 through 51. Follow on, give God's word the attention it deserves. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. And Jesus walked by John. Um, 
John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said, then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before, before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the son of man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Thank you for giving us your holy written word, which is uh, without error and given to us to guide us and teach us. Lord, I pray that we would give this text the respect, the reverence that it deserves, Lord. I pray that we would have ears to hear and more importantly, God, hearts to receive. Holy Spirit, we invite you to teach us right now, to teach a message to each person's heart um, that is, is more personal and goes deeper than anything I can say. Lord, would you send your Holy Spirit to anoint me right now as I speak, uh, to to give a message that glorifies you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, you guys want to hear like an awkward, weird story? You guys aren't going to like me after this. (laughs) Okay, so I was on this date with a girl when I was like 16. We went bowling, right? And have you ever like had times where you... You do something and you're like, what the, why did I do that? That was really weird, right? And it's just those like 16-year-old hormones or something, right? So you're just like acting weird. And so we went on this, uh, we went on this date and then afterwards we're like, what should we do? And like, we're driving around and I was like, well, let's just follow this car and see where they're going. And so we just followed this car for like 10 minutes or 15 minutes, eventually into this neighborhood. We're just like being creepers, right? And she, apparently she thought it was funny. So, you know, I kept doing it, but like we followed them into this weird neighborhood and then the person like slams on their brakes, jumps out of their car, and it's like, like they noticed that we were following them for a long time, right? And they'd probably been trying to shake us and jumps out of the car, and we're like, oh, we drove around them. It was just weird, right? And it's just a weird story about following people. Uh, in a, if I didn't have Jesus, maybe I'd be a weird stalker. I don't know, right? I'm kidding, I wouldn't be. Uh, here we have this story where the disciples start following Jesus, and and the first part of it is kind of funny to me, um, and, and it seems like they just start following him. Jesus is like, what are you doing? And so I want us to look at this text. We're going to break it down a little bit. And, you know, we need to follow Jesus. We need to stick close to him, right? Like we need to not just be stalkers who are looking from afar, but we need to, we need to get close to Jesus. We need to be near him. We need to have relationship with him. Because here's the thing, like, maybe you're not a stalker, maybe you don't follow people around in cars, uh, maybe you're, you know, you're not hanging outside of people's windows, but uh, we all follow things, right? There's always things that we follow. We're always listening to different voices in our life. We all do it. And, and we can be led down many paths, right? There's always things in life that will, will be calling for your attention. And Jesus 
is the perfect person to follow. He's the son of God. He's the one who knows exactly where we should go. He knows what's best for our life. And if we're going to follow anybody, if we're going to listen to anybody, if we're going to allow anyone to have influence in our life, it needs to be Jesus. And we'll learn more about that as we go through this, this text. John one thirty five. The following day, John, this is John the Baptist, was, was again standing with two of his disciples. So who are these two disciples? We find out in the text that one of them is Andrew, who's Peter's brother. Uh, the other is not mentioned. Um, his name's not mentioned. Most believe that it's John, the author of this gospel, a different John than John the Baptist. John the disciple who um, wrote this book. And most believe that John just, he doesn't mention his name. He doesn't talk about himself at all in the gospel um, by name. And so most likely this was Andrew and John that were standing there. John the Baptist had many disciples. More than that, he had many, many followers. His followers would have been in the thousands, most likely, um, And possibly even in the tens of thousands, John the Baptist was shaking things up and tons and tons of people, uh, probably in the tens of thousands, were coming to hear him speak. They were confessing sin. They were repenting. But John the Baptist had some closer people who were his disciples, similar to what Jesus does here. But John the Baptist is standing here with two of his closer disciples. And as Jesus walked by, he um, let's read in verse Uh, 36, as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. John the Baptist, though he had many, many followers, he had huge influence. His role was to point people to Jesus. And so John points them to Jesus. And again, it's interesting, he uses the term Lamb of God. You know, which is the one who will be slain for our sins. So right up front, John the Baptist was saying, hey, here's the Messiah, but it's the Messiah who's going to die. It's the Messiah who's come to take our sin and, and our penalty for it. He points them to Jesus. John the Baptist, this was his ministry, was pointing to Jesus. And though he had many followers, he didn't see him as his followers. And I think that is exactly what we need to know about discipleship is gathering people is not gathering them unto ourselves, but gathering them so that we can point them to Jesus. Give me an amen for that, right? It's not about gathering people to do things the Austin Chapel way. It's not gathering people so that they can, you know, be part of our club. It's gathering people to point them to Jesus, to get them to Jesus, so that they would fall in love with Jesus. They would find freedom in Jesus. Amen. You guys, this is going to be a this is going to be a sermon that I'm going to get passionate, right? So if you're not passionate, you got to stir it up. Give me some responses, okay? <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> We're talking about some seriously important things today. So let's let's act like it, okay? Exciting things. John 1:38. Jesus looked around and saw them following. So he's walking along. Turns around, sees these two guys following him. He's like, what do you want? Good question. He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher. So they're giving him some respect, right? Where are you staying? (laughs) As a former stalker. (laughs) Just kidding. But that's a creepy thing to say, right? That's a creepy thing to say. They're following him. He's like, what do you want? They're like, uh, where are you staying? <laughs> Joking aside, I actually see some sincerity here. I don't think that Jesus is being rude or short with them. I think he's genuinely asking them, what do you want? What are you looking for? Why are you following me? And I think they genuinely here are answering, we want to stay with you. We want to follow you. John the Baptist, who we have been following, who we've been learning from, says that you're the Lamb of God. That you're the Messiah, that you're the Savior. We want to follow you. We want to be with you. We want to stay with you. 
it's kind of a bold statement. Where are you staying? Can we stay with you? But, I mean, when, when you truly know who Jesus is, that should be what you want. If you truly know who Jesus is, that he is God Almighty in the flesh. When you know that Jesus died for your sins and rose again so that you could have eternal life. And then more than that, he offers you relationship with him. You should want to be with him, to stay with him, to have a relationship with him. Amen? Come on, that's better. That's better. John. Uh, John 6, uh, 67, it says, Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. This is later on after they've been following Jesus for a little bit, and many of them had started to leave Jesus. And Jesus looks at his twelve and he's like, Hey, are you going to leave too? This is the perfect response. And it needs to be your response. It needs to be your heart. Where would I go? I have nothing without Jesus. That needs to be our response. And I think we get so caught up. We're like, Jesus is good, but there's so many good things out there. So I'll keep them on the side for now. The heart of the disciples is like, we have nowhere to go. You're the way, the truth, the life. You're the only way to the Father. You're the only way we're going to have um, relationship with God. You're the only way we'll get to heaven. Where else can I go? There's nothing else that will satisfy. There's nothing else that will save me. Where else can I go? I hope and pray that that is our church's heart when we talk about Jesus. Where else can I go? These first disciples seem to get that from the beginning. You're the Lamb of God. Can we stay with you? Can we be near you? John one thirty nine. Jesus says, come and see. Let me tell you, that's Jesus' invitation to us all. It's Jesus' invitation to Austin, to Texas, to America, to the world. Come and see. You want to see what I'm doing? Come. Come and see. He said, it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And they remained with him the rest of the day. So they start following Jesus. He invites them in. Come and see. They follow him. They stay with him. You know, too often today, we want to tell people, or sorry, we want to tell Jesus where he should go. What he should do. Hey, Jesus, here's my journey. Here's my 10-year plan. Here's what I'm doing. Nice to meet you, but please follow me and do what I say. Being a disciple is asking Jesus, where are you going? Where are you staying? What are you doing? How can I follow you and be a part? Jesus would say, come and see. Do your prayers consist of, Jesus, here's my plan, please bless it? Or is it, hey, Jesus, what do you want me to do? I'm truly asking, I'm willing to hear what your plans are. Or your prayers, here's my plan, please do it. You treat him like a genie in a bottle, hoping that you'll get what you want out of him. Or are you truly asking Jesus, where are you going? Where are you staying? Can I be with you? Can you guide me? Can I follow you? Listen, in the relationship between you and Jesus, Jesus is the leader. And if you try to be the leader, that relationship is not going to go very well. Because you're, you're not the leader. You're not divine. You're not God. You have no business trying to lead him. We're all guilty of this, though. Right? We get into that temptation of going, God, I'm pretty smart. And I can see exactly what you should do. So please do it. Now, it's okay, of course, to request things of God. But always with the humility that he can say no and lead you another direction. Always with the humility of like, God, should I even be asking for this? Is this even good for me? We need to have that humility. He is the leader in the relationship. Okay. Verse 40. So this is the next day. Andrew Simon. um, Sorry, Andrew. Simon Peter's brother was one of these men who heard that John, what John said 
and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Andrew goes and gets his brother. And if John indeed is the other disciple, we know that he ultimately went and got his brother James, and they both become disciples as well. You see, pretty immediately, the disciples start gathering people to Jesus because disciples make disciples. Disciples gather people to Jesus. This is just part of the role of discipleship, of being a disciple. It's also interesting to note they gather those who are closest to them first. Who do you already have influence with? Who will listen to you? Start there. Start with those people. More than that, who do you want to see in heaven? Who do you really, really want to see in heaven? Who would you be devastated if they didn't make it there? Start with those people. Reach to those people. It's really interesting if you look. Eight of the twelve disciples were brothers. We had four sets of two. It's pretty interesting because these brothers gathered their brothers. So you have Andrew and Peter. You have James and John. You have um, Jude and the other James. And you have, we'll see in a minute, Philip and Nathaniel. Or Nathaniel is also known as Bartholomew. I can't speak right now. But anyways, Bart, there you go. We have eight brothers because they gathered those who they were closest with. Start there. 142. Then John brought Simon to meet Jesus. Man, we got to bring people to meet Jesus. Amen? They need to meet Jesus. They need to know Jesus. He said, hey, this guy's the Messiah. He's the Savior. Come and meet him. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John. But you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. One, uh, Cephas is in the Aramaic, Peter is in the Greek. They both mean stone or rock. Peter comes, or Simon comes, and Jesus recognizes and I would say appoints Peter to a special role. Right from the beginning, he, he, he sees something and he wants to do something specific with Peter, which is to make him sort of the, the, the rock the, the foundation of the early church. Peter has a founding role in the early church. He leads the early church after Jesus ascends to heaven. So Jesus gives him this special role right from the beginning, and with that, a new name. It's interesting. Simon in the Greek meant snub nose. But he was Jewish. Simon in Hebrew means, listen, I doubt that his parents named him snub nose. Like, He's got a weird nose. Just call him snub nose. <laughs> but they name him probably more likely listen since he was, uh, or to hear uh, since he was Hebrew. I just found that funny. Uh, but Jesus renames him to Peter the rock. John one forty three. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida. Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. So they continue and Jesus goes into Galilee more specifically more specifically, Bethsaida, and he sees this guy, Philip. We're not told a lot of details about it, but he says, hey, I want you to follow me. Gives him this invitation. Philip believes who Jesus is, and he then goes and gets his brother, Nathaniel, and tells him, this is the very person who Moses and the prophets spoke about. This is the one we've been waiting for, reading about, uh, praying for, looking for everywhere we can see, and You know, we've been debating about when he will come, what it will look like. He is finally here. The prophet, the Messiah, the Savior is here. He brings his brother, Nathaniel. But it's interesting, his response, right? Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth was on a trade route for the Romans. So it was a town that had brothels and uh, probably a lot of violence and stuff. 
And it was also just kind of like a podunk little country town, plus it had a bunch of craziness going on. So when he's like, hey, can anything good come from Nazareth? Right? He's like, it's kind of like the ghetto. Like, it's not a great area. Can anything good come from Runberg? I'm sorry. Right? We, Austin doesn't have a ghetto, so it's like you have to really try to, to make it happen. We just don't. Austin's a kind of a rich city. Can anything good come from Oklahoma? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I know. This is the type of response Nathaniel has. But you know what? I think it's the type of question people are asking today. What does some dead Jewish dude from 2,000 years ago have to do with me? Can anything good come from the Middle East? What's Philip's response? Come and see for yourself. That needs to be our response to people going, what has that got to do with me? You're talking about some dead Jewish dude from 2,000 years ago. What's that got to do with me? Come and see for yourself. Come and see for yourself. Verse 47. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. That is, that's a compliment if I've ever heard one. A man of complete integrity. Nathaniel asked, how do you know about me? How do you know me? What are you talking about? How do you know I'm a man of integrity? How do you know who I am? Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Okay, let's give this some, some context, some understanding. Fig trees were where devout Jewish men would go to pray and study or meditate on the word of God they would go and they would sit under a fig tree. And oftentimes, if they weren't pruned, fig trees would have these really low branches. So you could kind of get under there and no one could see you. So when it says that he, Philip found him, he's having to go around looking at the fig trees going, Hey, where, where are you? Nathaniel He's looking for him because Nathaniel is tucked away having alone time with God. He's meditating on God's word. He's praying. Jesus says, hey, I know what you were doing before you came here. I saw, I know, I know your heart. And I know that you're an upstanding man. This guy, Nathaniel, is a solid guy. Somebody who really must have been spending a lot of time in the Word, a lot of time praying. He was a man of honesty and integrity, of sincerity. Jesus knows him. He says to him, I know who you are. You're a man of integrity. I saw you under the fig tree. I know where you're coming from. I know what you were doing right before this. Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, teacher, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. He's blown away by this. It's about to get more crazy. You guys ready? Okay, it's about to get more crazy. Verse 50, Jesus asked him, Do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the son of man. The one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Okay, what is Jesus talking about? Why does he say this? Jesus is referencing Genesis 28. And it is my belief and many others that this is the very passage that Nathaniel was reading. This is the very passage that Nathaniel was reading. He was reading in, in Genesis 28 about uh, Jacob's dream of a stairway between heaven and earth, which the angels are going up and down. And Jesus is like, I know what you were doing. More than that, I know what you were reading. And believe me, you're going to see it. How cool is that? You're going to see it. You're going to see heaven open. You're going to see the stairway to heaven It's interesting. We'll, we'll turn to Genesis 28 in a second. Uh, this is Jacob, the son of Isaac, who's the, he's the grandson of Abraham. And it's Jacob who is renamed by God to Israel. And he has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And at this point here in Genesis 28, God gives Jacob this dream and a word. It's a promise. And it's a promise to Israel, but it also carries a lot for the church. It's, it's, it has two meanings to it. Let's look at it. Genesis 28. Verse 10. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he, dre- he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And he said to him, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and on your descendants. What's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. So he sees this dream. He has a vision um, of heaven opened up and there's this stairway to heaven. And the angels of God are going up and down it. This is the passage that Nathaniel is reading. It is the passage that Jesus is referencing here. So we see the stairway and with it there's a promise. Right? So there's, an, there's imagery, and then there's the promise that comes with it. God here is reiterating the same promise he gave to Abraham and Isaac and is now giving to Jacob. A promise that God was going to create a people from Abraham. Right? Abraham and Sarah, they were, they were barren, but God miraculously brings about a child, which was Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has the 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel, who bring about the Israelites All of this was accomplished. And even today we see that the Israelites still exist, right? Still, it's a country, they're a people group. This was was promised and God accomplished it. But, the New Testament tells us that these children of, of God, these children of faith that were promised to Abraham was literal, of a literal bloodline, but it was also spiritual of a spiritual belief. We're told this multiple times in the New Testament. In one such place is Galatians 3. In the same way, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. Listen, Jesus tells them about this stairway to heaven. And I believe if you read the context here, The promise is again the same as he's just in the beginning of of gathering disciples. Just as Jacob was just in the beginning of that literal lineage of Abraham. It was just getting started. And now Jesus is standing here with some disciples and it's just getting started. The children of faith are just getting started. Jesus says the same promise is true here. That there's a stairway to heaven for all those who have faith. And that We're going to reach the ends of the nation. Like the ends of the earth reach all of the nations. From east to west, north to south, that promise is true for the church as well as it was for the Israelites, the literal bloodline of Jesus. That's why Jesus says, hey, go to the ends of the earth. Reach every nation and every tribe and every tongue. Reach them all. Jesus is starting here with just the first few disciples saying that same promise that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob about their uh, children reaching the ends of the earth is the same promise that we have in the process of discipleship and evangelism of reaching the ends of the earth. We're going to do it. Amen? Right, so we have this Reach 1000 initiative at Austin Chapel. That's, that's by no means the ends of the earth, but it's a big number for a small church like us. But we're going to surpass it. In Jesus' name, let it be. 
In Jesus' name, we're going to surpass sharing the gospel with 1,000 people this year. In Jesus' name, let it be. Amen. Either way, amen means let it be. So, okay. Right. So, if you look at the imagery of this stairway, and then there's the promise of reaching the ends of the earth. What does the image have to do with a promise? They seem unrelated, but they're not. God wants people going up that stairway to heaven, y'all. Right? When he's saying, here's a stairway to heaven, go out and fill the earth with people who are going to go up it. Amen? Okay. Okay, so looking at this passage um, on the theme of stairways, I see seven steps in discipleship that are listed here in this passage. I want to briefly go over them. Because if we're going to reach people, we need to know how to disciple them. What are the steps that we need to take? Seven steps in discipleship. First, the disciples believe in Jesus. Okay, no duh, Stephen, right? Here's the thing. Sometimes we try to get to know people and reach out to them without ever telling them about the gospel. We're like, we don't get around to it. I'm hanging out with unbelievers. I invited them to church. Have you told them about Jesus, though? Otherwise, what are they believing in? You have to know who Jesus is. And to to be a true disciple, you have to believe in Jesus. That he's the divine, pre-existent son of God. More than that, he's the Messiah. More than that, he's the lamb who was slain for them, their sins. He took the penalty for their sin. He died and rose again, conquering sin and death for them, offering them newness of life. We have to to believe this as disciples and we need to share this message so they can believe it too we got to get to the point at some point right can't beat around the bush right church doesn't save them right talking about intelligent design versus evolution doesn't save them what saves them is the gospel the message of what jesus what jesus has done for them Number two, disciples follow Jesus. We see this, right? As soon as they hear who Jesus is and what he's going to do for them as the lamb who would be slain, these disciples, their, their, their initial reaction is, oh, I guess I got to follow him. I got to follow him. Sorry, John, you're great, but I got to follow Jesus. And John, would, would, nothing would make him happier because that was his role to point people to Jesus. Disciples follow Jesus. Coming back to that point, though, disciples don't, Tell Jesus what to do. Disciples don't lead Jesus around their life asking him to bless things. Right? Here's my plan. Here's my agenda. Disciples follow Jesus on his mission. They ask him what he wants to do. Number three, disciples stay with Jesus. Man, this is important because not everybody stays. Read the parable of the sower as he's casting out seed. Most of them don't stay. Maybe they show some signs of growth. They, something sprouts, something starts going. But most people don't stay with Jesus. Because they see Jesus as maybe a good answer to a temporary problem. Like I was down and out. And then Jesus, that whole Jesus idea got me excited for a little bit. But you know what? Now I've moved on to Buddha. Now I've moved on to some Zen stuff. Now I've, found, I've moved on to different forms of meditation right i really need to focus on me and and look inward there's always things people see jesus maybe as a temporary solution to a problem they have he was a he was a good way for, for that period of my life but you know i just don't really believe all of it people don't stay with jesus we need to stay with jesus we need to teach people that you know there where else would they go where else would we go he is the one who has the way to eternal life who leads us into eternal life. Where else can we go? we got to stay with Jesus. He is not a temporary answer to our problems. He is the final and ultimate and eternal answer to all things. He is the way, the truth, the life. Not a way, a truth, a life. The way, the truth, the life. Amen? Disciples number four, receive a new identity in Jesus. We see this with Peter, right? So Peter gets a new name. 
And I think that foreshadows how we all have a new identity in Jesus. There is a transfer from ownership from children of sin to children of God, from children of darkness to children of light. Well, the Bible talks about we are born again. This is new life in Jesus. And it's all in Jesus. Our identity is now in him. It's not, it's not you know, in ourselves and in and, and our profession and what we do and in our family. That's not our identity anymore. Right? So I'm not Stephen Montgomery, the painter, or even Stephen Montgomery, the pastor. I'm Stephen Montgomery, a child of God saved by Jesus. That's my identity. I've been given a new identity. The Bible tells us that he has good works planned for all of us as individuals that he knew about before he even created the world for you specifically as an individual to do. In the new identity in Christ, he also specifically and personally cares about each one of us. He cares about each one of us and has specific things he wants each one of us to do if we'll ask him and follow him. And listen to him. He'll show us. And you will find more joy. And accomplishment. In doing what he has planned for you. Than you will anywhere else. Disciples receive a new identity in Jesus. Number five. Disciples bring others to Jesus. Immediately. He hadn't even gathered all twelve. But the twelve started gathering others to be a part of the twelve. Right? Like right from the start, these disciples understood. If I really believe that that is the Lamb of God, I better go and get people to meet him. They started with those who were closest to him. And then all of these men that we're reading about right here, they went out and they were missionaries in, in, in Europe and Arabia and Persia and Greece. And we see that they all were persecuted and ultimately they all died for jesus name because they so truly believed that people needed to meet jesus that people needed to come and know and have a relationship with the savior of the world who died for their sins so they were so passionate about this they literally went as far as they could take the gospel going town to town city to city country to country nation to nation tongue to tongue inviting people to meet jesus and ultimately that brought about their death but it was a great death because they died doing what they were called to do as disciples which is gather people to jesus And we sit at home on our couch eating potato chips, judging other Christians and judging churches and saying, I wish this or that. Gosh, we don't get it. The American church is so disconnected sometimes. And I have been guilty of it, too. Just thinking like, oh, if we could just figure out the right program. No, just get out there and invite people to meet Jesus. Jesus says, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. I will. And they start doing it right from the start. Look, they didn't know what the right words to, were to say. For many of us, that's, that's the thing, right? We don't, I don't know how to answer the questions. I don't, I don't know what to do. Listen, you don't have to have it all figured out. Just bring them in. Say, hey, look, this is what Jesus has done in my life. I can't answer those questions. But, hey, I'll bring you to some leaders who maybe can help you through that. But also challenge yourself. Like, instead of watching six hours of Netflix, get online. There's plenty of websites that will help you understand every question that you don't think you can answer in six hours on calm which is a great website golly your mind will be so much more blessed than six hours of the office right (laughs) disciples bring others to jesus number six disciples witness the miraculous works of jesus they see jesus miraculously know things about nathaniel Miraculously know what verses he was reading. They witness him do miraculous things. You're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to see people walk on water or or not. Listen, if you're following Jesus, you're in a church that's all about Jesus. You will see God do all sorts of different types of miracles. You know, some of them are crazy. I have seen people be healed. I know there are many people in here who have seen people be healed. But, but more than that, more, like more importantly, I've seen spiritual healing. I've seen breakthrough where there was no explanation for it. 
Right? Where every program they tried, everything they tried didn't work, but they suddenly, somebody prays for them, and they're suddenly freed from a sin that they had, had captured them their whole life. That's a miracle. That is, a, you know, spiritual healing, spiritual breakthrough. When you're following Jesus, when you're with others who are following Jesus, you're going to see Jesus do miracles of all sorts and kinds. And that is, that is amazing. It's, it's fun. Right? It's, it's so cool to see God do these amazing, miraculous things. And we get to in seven. Disciples get to see heaven with Jesus. Right? He says, Jesus says to them, hey, you're all going to see that stairway to heaven. And more than that, church, the language there is suggesting, and the, and the NLT brings it out in a beautiful way, that Jesus is the stairway to heaven. He is the stairway. You know, as we look at these seven steps, they're all about Jesus. And if we ever get us, you know, strayed from Jesus into programs, strayed to Jesus into just like, hey, this is our thing we figured out. And it's not about Jesus. We've met, we're missing the point because he's the stairway of discipleship. He's the stairway to heaven. It is only through him that people can get to heaven, that they can get to the father, that relationship can be restored with God. He's the only one who can bridge the gap that was caused because of sin. Amen. There's a stairway to heaven. That stairway is Jesus Christ. There's a promise that we can reach the ends of the earth. And we're reaching them to bring them up that stairway. I don't believe that anything gives God more glory than when we are reaching out to others to bring them to him. Right? I believe that is the thing. When people are hearing the gospel and ultimately receiving the gospel, that is what brings God the most glory. Let me ask you, where where are you at on, on these steps? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you truly believe who he is? Do you believe who he is and trust enough to follow Sometimes it's like, yeah, I, kinda, I believe, I get, I get the ideas, I, I get it. But you've got to believe enough to take that next step and start following him. To stay with him. To truly feel as though I have nowhere else to go. Jesus is my only answer. He is the only thing that is important to me in my life at the end of the day. Do you realize that you've received a new identity? Church, we need to live in that new identity. You are not a slave to sin anymore. You are now a child of God. That is powerful. You have been regenerated. You are, you are born again. You are a new person. So don't go back to those old things, going down those old paths, getting caught up in the same old junk. Realize your identity that is true of you. Not because of your works or your actions. It's true of you because of what Jesus has done. Peter hadn't done anything yet. When Jesus says, you're going to be the leader of the church. It was true because Jesus said it was true. Not because of Peter's actions. Peter, like, fumbles the ball a lot. He, like, if you look at some of these men, like, I probably would have given it to Nathaniel, a man without deceit, and a man with integrity. That's who I would have said, you're the leader. But he gives it to a man who's deceitful, who, who, who is arrogant and prideful and denies Jesus. See, it wasn't based upon Peter's actions. It was based upon what Jesus declared. I say that you're a new person. And when he says that, it's true. So maybe you're like, oh, man, I feel like crap. Like, I'm not any of these things. I'm not great. You're right. You're a sinner. But Jesus says you're a son of God. So that's no, you're no longer a sinner. Right? You may feel that way. But Jesus says, you're a son of God. You're a child of light. So you just need to start walking in that identity that is already true of you because Jesus said so. We've got to start bringing others to Jesus. We're just going to start witnessing God do amazing things. And ultimately, church, we have this to look forward to. Heaven being opened up. And the Lord God standing at the top saying, come on in. Oh, come on. Right? That's what we have to look forward to. 
Listen, when we're reaching out to the world, it's all about bringing the kingdom of God to the earth, right? We, say, we hear that taught about, like, hey, bring the kingdom here and now, right? Jesus talks about this a lot, too. The kingdom of heaven is here and now. That is true and good, but we can never lose sight of where we're going when we die, right? This is our hope. And let me tell you, it, is, it was the hope of these disciples. It was why they could lay their lives down. Because, yes, they were bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth by sharing the gospel, but more than that, their hope was that when I die, I'm going to be complete and made truly new and, and glorified in Jesus. I'm going to be in heaven for eternity with him. We can't lose sight of that. Sometimes we do because we have such a comfortable Christianity here in the U.S. We lose sight of what is our true hope, which is that we are going to be with Jesus in heaven for all of eternity. Listen, there are people right now who, who are imprisoned, who are beaten, who are beheaded, who are killed for this gospel. And that is their only hope, is to see heaven opened up and the invitation to come on in. We can't lose sight of this. We can't lose sight of this. We need to bring others along with it. We need to realize that, hey, people need to know Jesus so they can spend eternity with him. Right? So we talk about the 1,000. This is not, you know, it's not about goals. It's about souls. Amen? It's not about goals. It's not just about saying we reached 1,000 so we can feel good. It's that there's 1,000 souls out there who don't know Jesus right now that we have the capability of reaching out to. And many, many, many more. Let's just start there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you are doing, all that you have done in our, in our church, all that you are doing in the city, God. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts up no matter where we're at. Even if we feel weak, even if we don't feel like we're in that identity that is true of us, that you would stir our hearts up and say, listen, follow me. Take steps forward. Stop beating yourself up and move forward. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here that they're not sure if they're truly a disciple. They're not sure if they really know Jesus. Lord, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would invite them right now. You always are saying, come and see. Knock, and I'll answer. Seek, and you'll find. Lord, if there's anybody here who wants to receive Jesus, Lord, impress it upon their hearts that now is the time. We can't wait. We don't know when we're going to die. We are not invincible. We could die in a car accident tomorrow. Now is the time to receive Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would stir us up. We are a small church, God, but give us the ability by your spirit to have a large impact in the city for your kingdom. Ultimately, to let others know just how much you love them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like prayer after, um, during worship, you can come and pray with Ernesto and I. No, 